and welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your hosts, Daniel. And Daniel. Daniel, we took a week off, hadn't we? Yeah, I had some honeydew lists. So. Yep, yep, it lasted a whole week, and hopefully, and you're not quite done yet, right? Oh yeah, I still got to put up a bed in the other room, yeah. I got to put up a TV in the other room. The, the joys of being a husband, right? That, that honeydew yeah, exactly. list is, is infinite. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's infinite. Yeah, like, well, know. they just announced all the way through phase six there, so. Wow, that's a really big honeydew list. <laughs> And my honeydew list is bigger. <laughs> That's so sad. Um, <laughs> I finally got my contacts back, so I'm not wearing glasses yeah. or half blind. And now anymore. I don't have to read the, the Facebook post for you. Yeah, Which, exactly. By the way, did you post it this week? No, I didn't. Well, this is awkward. Well, so, <laughs> <laughs> the big thing for me is that um, with these uh, topics, yeah, it's interesting, but it, we need the poll more so for the top eight debate. Right. So if we forget doing it on this one, it's fine. Right. It's the top eight debate is where it's important. But it'd be interesting. Yeah, this was this was different. I mean, I would have liked to hear the audiences. Mm-hmm. That, so if you're with us live, our good friend Illuminous is with us. And yes, MCU is dead to you too. It never even started for him. Yeah, it's true. It never, it never <laughs> it was never born for me. I mean, I, I'm just as big of a fan as Batman as anybody else. But the Marvel Cin- I'm sorry. No, I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was like, out of all of the superhero movies, I actually did like Dark Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rising. Those mm-hmm. were actually really good. Well, that was the Christopher Nolan films. Those are some of the best superhero films of all right. time. Because the thing about what he did, he grounded it a lot in um, realism. Yeah. So when you see in the Dark Knight when they flip the uh, oh, semi truck, yeah. uh-huh. they're actually flipping the right. semi truck. Same with like the building. Yeah. yeah, Like that was one of my favorite things about that. When he wow, spoilers by the way, <laughs> spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, well, well why? No, the, the the flipping well, of the semi truck is in the trailer, <laughs> right? But no, the the building where he yeah. where he reacts and where he's like doing that, and then he's he reacts. There was actually a delay, and that was a real reaction. Yeah. Apparently. And you played it off so well. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, so it, it's quite interesting for me. Uh, I like most superhero movies. I'm, I'm the big superhero nerd. Mm-hmm. I do have to say the newest Batman movie was pretty good. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It actually showed, um, which is weird, it had the Robert Pattinson in it. So everybody was like saying, oh, no, he the Twilight oh, yeah. guy as Batman. I'm like, Batman is a sparkly vampire now. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like. <laughs> Actually, he's been a good actor. I've seen some of like his movies past Twilight, and they were really good. Uh, some of them are just quite strange. I, I've all, I think I know which one you're talking about, like Metropolis. Who's no, not Metropolis. Um, there's one by uh, I want to say it's a Scorsese film. Oh yeah, that yeah, I saw him. Yeah, he's just, like this billionaire driving around like like in a limo. Yeah, it was Robert Pattinson. Yeah, and I, I remember I watched it one. because it seemed kind of surreal, and I hated it. But that was the only experience I had. The, the one that he just did uh, recently, it was an art house film with uh, William Defoe in it as well, and I think it's called The Lighthouse. That one it was so surreal. Oh, I've oh, heard The Lighthouse. Oh, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's a great concept. It was so weird. Maybe I might have to watch that after. I don't watch it with the kids. Let, let me ask you, <laughs> Illuminous brought it up. Have you seen anything of Sandman yet? Uh, no, I have, haven't. I want to watch it. It's mm-hmm. on um, Netflix now. They just released it. But yeah. that thing has been in purgatory for so long yes. that they finally got off the ground. My, I'm interested in watching it. I was a massive fan of Sandman growing up. And I, like so the, I, knew of it. I like the comic. I yeah. really enjoyed that one. I'm, I'm, I like Neil Gaiman. Um, haven't read a lot of his stuff, but what I've read is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the big one was uh, the Gods one. I haven't read that one, oh, but I heard American that one's Gods really good. Too. Yeah, American Gods. That one's really good. 
from what I hear. The show seemed interesting. I watched a little bit of it. I have listened to some of the book. I okay. have the audiobook for it. It's intriguing. So so then, going on pop culture now, have you seen House of Dragon yet? The new episode? No, I was probably going to watch it tonight. I watched it. How was it? It was good. It was good. It was, it yeah, was but see, intriguing. But here's my problem with this one. The reason I'm hesitant watching this yes. is because I was so disappointed with the eighth season. Yes. No, I... <laughs> okay. Yes. So, Elephant wanna, in the room. I want to watch no, it. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, that, I think, was actually a better thing for House of Dragons because... I was just thinking they better not mess this up. <laughs> like, that was the only thing I thought when I watched the episode. And I was like, okay... Okay, I see where you're going with this. And, yeah. And we finished it. And, of course, we had our my mutual friend Jim over, and we were all watching it. And half of the episode, we were just making smart aleck remarks. Like, <laughs> I mean, we were, that's nothing new for us. But um, I really did um, I really did genuinely enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do encourage you to check it out. I don't know if it's going to keep, keep going as fast as it is or, or keep that same momentum up. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if you compare it to the first episode of Game of Thrones... That was fantastic. That you had everybody hooked. This was like, okay, that was cool. Uh, For me, personally, with this one, the only reason I want to watch it is because it's got Matt Smith in it. I really like Matt Smith as an actor. Matt Smith. Get it? Uh, I made a Doctor Who reference. How do you like me for pop culture lately? And you haven't even watched Doctor Who. (laughs) I've seen two episodes. And I don't think it was that actor. (laughs) Doctor Who. I'm pretty sure it was the guy with the really short hair. David Tennant? Probably. (laughs) Which, by the way, David Tennant, great in Doctor Who, makes the best bad guys. He was a. Oh, man. He was a bad guy in, I think, one of the Harry Potter movies. But he was also a bad guy in. uh, the Netflix, I think it was Jessica Jones. He played the Purple Man. Oh man, he played it so well. You really wanted to strangle him. That, that's how really good he was. I love that. Uh, but my my still still all time favorite bad guy actor is Paul Giamatti. He plays just the absolute worst people. Like he, there's some like he, like, but he seems normal. He just seems like a really frustrated, crazy old man yeah. in every role he does. And you're like, like I want to like you, but man, I hate this guy. Did you know uh, Paul Giamatti is officially now? Uh, spoiler alert! In the MCU. <laughs> okay. No. But because that's all right. he played. So is a, a Bumblebee Chicken Scratch. Because he played oh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Sorry. Uh, he played uh, Rhino in the Amazing Spider-Man, the, the the Garfield movies, which, hey, it's been out for a year. Everybody knows what happened because they talked about it at nauseum, where they yeah. actually drew all the Spider-Man movies into one universe now. Oh yeah, yeah. And so oh, technically, he was in the second movie. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah. God. And speaking of that Spider-Man, where they were talking about all that, mm-hmm. they spoiled that. The weekend, <laughs> um, and it's like oh, it, it even got spoiled before the movie came out. Yeah. It's like, come on! You know, what my favorite part about that entire movie was, and this isn't—I mean, technically, it's a spoiler, but it's really just like a a quick like blink and you miss it yeah. joke. When when Spider Man busts out his phone and it's cracked, because everyone always says, "Oh, you got Spider Man edition, right?" I love that. I was like, 
I see what you did there. <laughs> yes, that made the movie worth it. The, the thing is, it's like that. That was my big issue, and why I have always such a big issue about spoilers. Really? This movie was spoiled before it even came out. Yeah, because yeah. everybody's like, "Oh, this is happening," or and this this comes out, and it's saying like these two guys are in it. It's like, wow, that ruins the 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 issue with this right. one. It's like, and and you know. If only you could like go back and like reverse the spoiler and relive that first time you watched yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Which goes into our episode today. <laughs> nice like segue. I did there? Thank you. Um, our episode today is what games would you go back and relive your first play of it? And this was interesting. Like yeah. at, when you when you first proposed that idea, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I looked back at your shelf. I'm like. Oh, I like this. Yeah, let's do that. I, I got really genuinely excited when I thought of that. I was like, okay. Because there's a lot of different ways. And I love it when we come up with ideas where it's there's a lot of different ways to take it. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's ways where it's like, okay, there could be good or bad reasons, right? Yeah. They're, they're, who knows what we'll, we'll put down on our list. I mean, we obviously do. Oh, but yeah. Let's see what we talk about. But before we talk about the rest of our topic, we have something really exciting to talk about. <laughs> giveaway that's right we have here a brand new copy of ah, you cannot just see that. one <laughs> just one the spiel de jar winner of 2019 you know how we are with spiel de jars winners we only have one copy to give away and we're only going to give away give this copy to just one lucky winner I'm so sorry. This is not going to get any older. All right. So, as always, the way this works is for our giveaway, we will ship it anywhere into the contiguous 48 states of the United States. Sorry if you're international. Um, it, but, you know, still enter. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll contact you. We'll figure it out. But here's what you got to do. In order to enter in one of these contests, first, can it send it to Mars? Uh, I said international, not interplanetary. Sorry, <laughs> you UPS has really hiked their rates. Rates. Oh yeah. In into interstellar areas. Um, <coughs> go ahead. Okay. Would <coughs> you just keep talking? <laughs> no, I want to draw attention to it. No, no get, we can edit this out. Um, I'm not editing it out. Hey, that's your choice, not mine. You're the editor. So, I, I was trying not to be, be rude about it, but... Alright, anyway. So, Just One is an amazing, amazing cooperative game. And the way this is going to work is, first off, if you are a subscriber to us on YouTube, you will get an automatic free ticket. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. If you, if you follow us on Twitch, you get an automatic free ticket. You think I have that paperwork still? <laughs> if you... Follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You get an automatic free ticket. So if you follow us on all three platforms, you got three tickets. That's right. But here's your real chance to up your ante. Every episode, we're going to give away a free keyword. For the next four episodes. For the next four episodes. Those four episodes, you can email us at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. We will give, you, we will give away the keyword here shortly in a bit. Mm-hmm. But that's how you're going to enter to do this. So listen to our podcast, listen for that keyword, and then enter by emailing us. Alrighty. All right. That was exciting. Other so, than the fact that you're making fun of me as I'm struggling no, and I'm telling you, like, keep I was, going. Keep I was going. hoping I wouldn't have to do the Heimlich on you. 
I don't think I'd do very well at it. First off, you wouldn't have to do the Heimlich. It was liquid. I didn't know that. You could have had an ice cube in there, and I can't wait for it to melt. Come on. I want to save your life. Not wait for global warming. This is warming. ice coffee. This is hot coffee. I didn't. You, you think I smelled it? make it. No, we were chatting. I, th- I thought that was your wife making it. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. She doesn't even drink coffee. Again, I don't know this de- these details. Anyway. <laughs> Back to just back one. To topic. Uh, let's go ahead and give them the code word now, and we'll give it at the end of the, the podcast as well. All right. That sounds good. This code word comes straight from the box. This code word today is hazelnuts. That's right. You heard it here. Hazelnuts. So again, uh, to give us the code word, put in the subject giveaway, mm-hmm. and then put in the code word in the body, hazelnuts, mm-hmm. and we'll enter you in the podcast, or in the, the giveaway. The giveaway, that's right. All right. So today we were talking about a simple topic of what games would we like to relive our first experience, but before we talk about our first experience in games, let's talk about games that we've been playing lately, current experiences, Daniel what have you been playing lately? Uh, let's see here. I've been playing quite a few games. In fact, it was actually hard to narrow down just four games. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. We had to just roll some dice and go, all right, those four uh, it is, right? So two of them I decided to actually put um, games that I've talked about before, but I just recently got back to the table after a while. And then two of them are new. So let's start with the games that I've played already. Uh, first one is I had a friend who had a friend come into town and they specifically was asking they want to try Disney Villainous. Well, they told that friend, I got someone who owns everything for Disney Villainous and we could have him bring it over and you could test it out before you buy it. This way you know how to play because it's not as easy as you think it is. It no. looks like a very simple game. And um, I was telling them how, how you described it. I can't remember exactly how you worded it. So um, why don't you let the podcast know how it was worded when you were talking with your coworker? Wow. Uh, way to put it on me. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Off top. No, I believe it is. It gives the guise of being a simple family game because mm-hmm. of the theme, but it is incredibly deceptive considering that. Yes, exactly. And, and that's like, I mean, Scythe is a complicated game, right? And you the, know it is. Yeah. And the core mechanism that, that they have from Scythe, with, which moving the piece from, on your board and mm-hmm. choosing a panel of actions, that's essentially the well, main mechanism yeah. of Villainous. That's that's nothing that anybody has seen. Or... As, well, I mean, they've seen it, right? But it's not a common thing in modern and non-modern board games. And the fact that Villainous plays so asymmetric, I would yes. never consider it a gateway game. But this never. is the one that was specifically never. requested for someone who's not a hardcore gamer like you right. and I. Or, yep. And I wouldn't even say a casual gamer. They just saw it and like, hey, this looks pretty good. Yeah. I want to try it because they're big into Disney. Yeah. And so I took it over there and we played it. First off, I would never play with five people again. Uh, that is a lot. Four for me is probably the best sweet spot. Maybe three, yeah. just because of I the downtime. Great three-player game. Just because of the downtime. I, I mean, yeah. four is fine. Um, two is is pretty good too. Yeah, two is not bad. And another thing is, you have to be very careful, especially when it's a new player, who they play as. Now yes. we we explained. John who, is always my go-to. Yeah, and so I, we were explaining that to her, but she really wanted to play the Evil Queen from one of the expansions. Fine, they're not like too, super difficult. No, but, Evil Queen is okay. But the th- the thing about it is, it's so asymmetrical. And from what I was looking online, the two best ones one is Prince John, I think the other one is Maleficent. 
because all you have yeah. to do is get your your stuff out for Maleficent. It went fine. Uh, it was a great game. We had a good time playing it. Uh, like I said, I would never play it with five people ever again, just because no. the, the the downtime from after my turn is done and I have to wait like four other people is no. astronomical. <laughs> you know what I found is one of the best ways to demo the game is um is I would teach it at two first mm-hmm. off, and then I have them play as one character, like each player play as because it's all new to them. Yeah, and and understand it. And then halfway through it, stop them and have them switch. Yeah. Because no. that's really like one of the best things to do with them is because one of the biggest parts of playing well is mm-hmm. knowing how to prevent other people from getting their goals. Yeah. If you've never played with that with those goals, you don't know how yeah, it especially, is. Especially, yeah, because so it, you swap it like that. It, it can be mean because when you finally yeah. realize when someone is close to winning, you start yeah. everybody starts picking on them. Right. And the thing is... The and new, rightfully so. Yeah, the new player won the game, but a big part of it is because we were all... All of us were teaching the game, explaining how right. she should use her cards, how they should use... The fate and stuff like that, the track. My wife enjoyed it because she was playing Scar, and she's like, I could see how it's difficult, but it's not that difficult compared to some of the other characters, because all you need to do is beat so many characters to get a succession pile, and if you get 15 plus, you win. So, it's like Prince John, but you have to next step Prince John. Okay. Uh, So, because you have to defeat characters, and once you get 15, you win. Yeah. Prince John is all about power. So yeah, if he gets like twenty power. Yeah, if he gets twenty power, he wins. And so we were talking about that. I was playing Hades and I was trying to get my Titans into oh, yeah. Olympus. So it was fun. Uh we all decided to take more complicated uh characters that we haven't played before. Mm-hmm. This way we're slightly at a disadvantage for the asymmetric because we have to learn how to play that character. Yeah. And to make it easier on her. And then we were also explaining because her the the thing about the evil queen is that she's about making poison. And she doesn't have any allies to help her defeat, except for, I think, the Huntsman or something like that. But you have yeah. to poison everybody, and your your goal was to poison Snow White. Well, once she got the engine-building process of it, she was just throwing poisons left and right. It was like all her power basically became poison, and she was using that That's poison fun. to defeat everybody. And it's like, well, okay, now she got it. Yeah. And now that after she started getting it, we started throwing fate on her. Yeah. We, we all in a kind of an agreement, without even out speaking out loud... Decided not to do any fate on her in the very beginning of the game and pick on us four in general. So I actually threw fate at uh, my friend Maria, my friend Angel, my wife, and they were picking on me a lot. And they're like, well, you have a Titan out. And I'm like, I got one Titan. I need three. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, we we did all that. And after a while, then we realized, okay, well, now we're going to start throwing fate. Two people almost won the game. Uh, and one was the one who wanted to play it, actually won it. My wife almost got it. I think there's a couple that were close to their goals. I had two Titans out. My One of my other Titans, or the last, I think, two or three Titans were at the bottom of my deck. <laughs> so I'm like, I wasn't close to winning this one. Right. But I did really enjoy it, so horrified. Horrified? I mean, uh, villains. <gasps> Spoilers. Spoilers. Okay, I know what your next one is. All right, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. My first one that I wanted to talk about was a game that you and I played. Uh, this is the only one I'm going to talk about from that game night that, that you and I did that got five games off of my shelf of shame, which, by the way, thank you again for that because <laughs> no. that was a great game. <laughs> yeah, that, actually, they were pretty good games. I, mean, yeah. I think there was only one. And I wouldn't really yeah. say it was a disappointment. Yeah, it, it just wasn't. Like, up to par with some yeah, of the other ones. Exactly. After playing all those others, and it was Tortuga, the card game. Um, I mean... Was the one you're playing? No. That was <laughs> that was the one that wasn't as good as the yeah. others. I mean, but it was fine. It was better than, like, you know... I, I just played a game called uh, Cantal, uh, Cantaloupe. 
it's about a cantaloupe or about counting and yeah anyway like i got it from the same sale and that one was much worse so i mean tortuga it was fine okay but the game i wanted to pick specifically was rajas of the ganges dice charmers the roll and write game that was really good i finally i've had this game since (laughs) two uh tucson runs for us ago and finally got it we finally played it. And you and I are big Rajas of the Ganges. Mm, uh, yeah, uh, you own Rajas of the Ganges, right? No. Neither one of us actually own it. That's why... We love it. There, if we see it at this used bookstore that we're going to go to in a couple weeks, we will fight to the death over it. Like, oh, yeah. There will be one one Daniel Fewer on, on that week's podcast. I might have to get the Gamehead Geek to help me join, uh, join the podcast. Maybe. I mean, that's <laughs> such a cool game. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. So when we got the Roll and Write ready... We read through the rules. All of it made sense because we're familiar. We're familiar with Rajas. Yeah. And we played it, and there were so many choices. There were so many combos. There was so much fun stuff to do. Everything you do will lead you to a path where you could do a lot more stuff all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And then there was turns where... And it was consistent, too. Like, sometimes you just take a turn, and you're like, okay, done. Yeah. And, like, another roll and write's like, okay, done. And then, oh, I have a combo. Da, da, da. All right, done. Yeah. No, this was like, oh, I'm going to do this, which will let me do this, which will let me do this, which will let me do this. Now you may take your turn. Oh, it's mine again? Now I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. It it felt so satisfying. Yeah, especially my favorite part of that is when uh, I picked something. The drunk elephant? No, 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 the drunk elephant was hilarious. No, when you were like, oh my god, are you going to do that? And I had that three road, which was like, boom, boom, boom. You're like, god, that was such a good move. Yeah, yeah, we're, like, it's so engaging too. We're watching other people like. Ooh, ooh, that's good. Yeah, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. That's really good. Man, if only I was at that position. Mm, yeah, that's good. that was a good one, yeah. yeah. Because uh, that, that, that T road that basically let me go across here, which let me trigger this one, and let me mm-hmm. trigger this one, which allowed me to trigger down here in the river, which already triggered for me on the T road. Yeah. So it was just like, ah. Uh. Yep. What I really liked about it was the karma. Yeah. Where you could actually take a die that was taken away from you and right. re-roll it. Yep. Then it becomes available for everybody, too. Yeah. Like that was the cool part. It's like, yeah, you'll probably take it, but there was there was a couple times where we rolled it and we're like, oh, that other option's way better. Like, I'm just gonna take that and then yeah. the die that I just unlocked. Hey, sure, have it. Have it. Yeah. <laughs> Good. We played it as a two player game. There's a slight yeah. difference in that. I feel like it went faster because of that. Yeah, I think it would would be fine with maybe three. Yeah. And getting any higher player count, the turns wouldn't be as fast. Well, no matter what. It's going to be twice, it's going to take twice as long. Yeah. In any three or higher, right? Yeah. Um, but the only problem, the, there's only one problem I have with the whole game. The drunk elephant? The elephant. <laughs> and not because of the component itself. The component is beautiful. It's an elephant where you have to put one of the dice on it. But when you build it, the pads are too thick and it doesn't fit in the box. Mm. It, it sits slightly at an angle and you know how much that stresses me out. It's so annoying because then if I... Like, so I normally store my game sideways, or at least I used to. Now I'm going to have to go back vertical like this, um, or horizontal like this. Yeah. And if you have a game like that, then that's all of the games on top of it, putting pressure on that one piece. Yeah, and that's why you put that's it on the top. That's such a bad idea. <laughs> I don't think that's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. Um, that's the reason why, like, I don't put the Everdale tree back in. Right. Um, that's the reason why. There's a couple things that are just sitting out. Like, I don't even have the villainous... Um, plastic piece in the villain oh, yeah, just because i have so much cauldron. stuff yeah the cauldron yeah. but yeah no i don't disagree with you that was an amazing game yeah it was really fun but that was my first one 
uh, the rest will be ones that you haven't heard of yet. All right. So, well, though, though, you already know what my next one is. Um, hold on. Was it? It's not one game. Um, <laughs> no, no idea. Uh, so I, sp- <laughs> uh, I took. Uh, this is for that same game group. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay, Vill- or villainous is going to be such a difficult game. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to make them put a bad taste in their mouth just in case it becomes it's a little too complicated. Yeah. So I took both versions of Horrified. Okay. Gave them a choice. Both games are pretty simple. Uh, there's some minor issues with the first printing of the original hor- or the second Horrified. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to play the Universal Monster ones. Which, Classic. Yeah. Which was great for me. I haven't played it since 2020. Wow. I haven't played it in two years. So I'm like, all right, I busted out. We played with the basics. We played Dracula, Creature for the Black Lagoon, and we did amazing. And the fact that that person also has played Pandemic, so she's like, oh, this is kind of like Pandemic. I'm like, yes, all right, I don't yeah. have to explain it too much for you. Much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, except for drawing two bad cards, we draw one bad card. Yeah. And so we uh, really enjoyed it. I, I have to say, because I just played it again after also playing American Monsters in about in October time, I do like the first one better. Uh, the yeah. Mo- Universal hands Monster, down. hands down. Um, I just... Love how simple, so clean. I and because I'm a Universal Monster man, uh, f- movie who uh, watched all the movies. Yep. I get the little references by the characters that are on there. I'm like, okay, this one's in Dracula. Okay, this this is not any of the Universal Monster movies, just the originals. But that one is basically Abbott and Costello meets the Frankenstein monster. Yep. Uh, so it does a lot of good things for me personally that uh, the cryptid one does not. Yep. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love cryptids and the fact that they made it. Where it's simple enough um, to make expansions for it now. Basically, you can do like European cryptids and stuff like that for it. It does a wonderful job there, but I just, the monster movies just, oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it uh, tugs that heartstring a bit. Oh, uh, yeah. It? Yeah. And so that was horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> I was going to, I actually genuinely already forgot the first one you said. <laughs> and I was like, I was going to make that joke. It's like, and that was, and say, insert first title here. Oh, it's right above you, Villainous. Oh, Villainous. And that was Villainous. <laughs> that, that's the Star Wars Villainous above his head, though. So, um, you and me have a project plan here in a few weeks. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. That we're going to be doing like an all-day gaming in a way. And now I'm back to one game ahead of you again. <laughs> uh, that has to be the newest one that Museum just came suspects. out. Suspects. Yeah. I, I got it in the mail on Friday. Got it played Friday. Got it played Friday. I've heard and, good things about this one. Yeah, so what makes it different, the way it works is it's a it's called Museum Suspects. It's by Phil Walker Harding. Um, it is a deduction game where you are... <laughs> unfortunately, no, Rising Sun is not involved in Luminous. Um, we, I, I got eight games off of my shelf of shame, and that was not one of them. I apologize. That's not even on your shelf of shame. Rising Sun? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not even on my shelf of shame, but it's one that's on my playlist. Um, want to playlist. But anyway, um, am, am I thinking Red Rising again? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm not getting them mixed up yet. Yeah, just since we brought it up. Um, yeah, so this game, Museum Suspects, there's 16 suspects, mm-hmm. and they all have a combination of a different background, different accessory, different hat, different animal type, whatever. Yeah. Um, and you do, there's 24 of the cards, and you only deal out 16 of them. But then there is 32 um, uh, deduction cards, and they're in 
four different categories, or I'm sorry, eight different categories, each with four cards. You shuffle up each category, and then mm-hmm. you deal out one card from each category. So you're going to know definitely what what background it's not in for one of those four. Okay. So it might either have like a green, a yellow, a blue, or a purple background, right? Okay. And one of those cards is is not what they're in. So all of these cards that you would look at, normally they would point you to who is the suspect, where instead this point this tells you what it, what makes it impossible to be a suspect. So if I flip if I look at a card and it has a blue background, it's definitely no blue background mm-hmm. characters, okay? Which okay. I know is kind of common, but normally it just straight up tells you, oh, it's not it's not Colonel Mustard, right? It'll say, oh, I have Colonel Mustard, and I know he's not the one. This just tells you part of the picture, which is definitely interesting. But then after you look at that clue card, you're faced with a decision. If there wasn't a token already on it, okay. you have the numbers one through one through six twice. You're only ever going to take six turns throughout the whole game. And so one of those turns is looking at a clue card. And then if there was no token on it, you place one of your number tokens face up on it. So let's say I put a three. Okay. That means in order for anybody else to look at that clue, they have to put a minimum three token on it. Okay. Minimum. Minimum three, okay. They can, might still raise it, but you minimum must be three. Because I'm thinking, okay, that might be kind of an important thing. If I put a five on something, oh, you better believe that's either important or I'm really bluffing you. The other category is after you do that and look at a clue card, then you take one of your number tokens and place it face down on any character. And those are going to be your potential points if they become a suspect. Now, immediately you're thinking, okay, so how does the math work out? How do you figure out who's the suspect? Here's the cool part. And this is what I really, really like about it. There are three possible outcomes to the suspects. Okay. Either one character is is the suspect. Okay. Then you flip over all the tokens that's on that character card. Whoever has the most tokens on it wins. Okay. Done. Second outcome, there are two or more suspects, in which case you reveal all the tokens on all of them that are suspects, highest combined total from, from any single player wins. Or, there is also a 17th card out, which is the exit. If all 16 get eliminated, which is totally possible, then they escaped and whoever put the highest tokens on that escape card instead wins. So it's not a perfect deduction game. <laughs> it's it the way it works is it's not a set in stone kind of idea. It's that there's a decent chance it'll be only one. But there could always be two or even three. There was three in our game. Or it could be eliminating everybody and whoever figures that out and is like, Wow, I'm eliminating a lot. I better like start bidding on this like exit. And the fact that you're seeing people bid on them face down, <laughs> you're you're seeing what they're what they looked at, what they thought about it. Like you might even look at a clue card and look at my three and go, okay, I'm gonna put a five on that. It's just to really <laughs> mess with other people. There's some really cool stuff in this. That's pretty cool. It works really well. And like, of course, putting a higher number on a clue card is important because then that kind of prices people out of it, but that's also your points. Yeah. So you don't want to do it too much. Yeah, exactly. But then if you only keep your low numbers, then you can't, you're not, you're <laughs> dumping them on cards and you're never going to win with that attitude. Yeah. You know, it's, there's so many cool things with museum suspects. I mean, just after the one play, it's already top half 
of Phil Walker Harding for me. Nice. Interesting. I have to check that one out. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to showing you. <laughs> All right. Going into my third game. Uh, this is one. I think you've played this game before. Uh, you just weren't at that game group to play it when I did. I'll let you know. And this is an Emerson Matsuchi game. Uh, I played a few of his. That is very well produced, but a little bit overproduced for the game that it is. Is that pretty new? It's pretty new. Is it in a cubic box that's <laughs> yeah. really oversized? Yep, I've yeah. played it. It's good. Yeah, Foundations of Rome. That, that game is so phenomenal. Foundations of Rome good. is it is so simple for what it is. Uh, as big of a production value, <laughs> this is like... One of these things is not like the other. You, you're expecting like this massive production that, that there's going to be a big, huge, meaty game. And no, this is basically Century Spice Road with big components. No, I'm going to correct you there. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like I'm the, on the I simplicity get it. of it. I get it. it. You know why I, I'm really impressed with Foundations of Rome? is because with Emerson Matsuchi, he is becoming the new Sid Saxon. He's yeah. becoming a modern Sid Saxon. Because Century Spice Road was was like almost a, a direct take on Bazaar. Mm. And this is almost a direct take on a choir. <laughs> like, but done much cleaner. Yeah. And it works. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. But I'm just saying, yeah, like it was very, it's a very expensive game for what it is. Like I said, this is the complexity level of Century Spice Road right. with the production value of... Um, Gloomhaven? No, Gloom, no not, anyway. Gloomhaven. not even Gloomhaven. I was thinking more something like a cool mini or not style, like Rising Sun no. or Blood Rage or Onk, for that matter. And it's so simple because all you do is either you're going to pay for a card, you're going to either a game, or pay for a card, gain money, or build something out yeah. there if you have the places, or upgrade, let's say, like from a three to a four. Yeah. And so you're just sitting there like, come on, come on, give me the card. You know what? I got all this money. $10, give me that card. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I want that. It is so good. It is It was a phenomenal game. Yeah. My big issue is how big that box is in the production on it by itself. I can't. I can't. I don't have the shelf space for no, it. Right. Exactly. It, <laughs> I hope that they make a pocket edition version of it. <laughs> you imagine just like a little cube about like that the, thing. It's going to be the Dune Imperium size box <laughs> yeah. over here that has the minis the in Monopoly it. Monopoly hotels and houses <laughs> in it, you know. <laughs> no, but it was phenomenal. I I really really enjoyed it. I, I everybody who says they played it really liked it. I'm like, yeah, it seems like it's a good game. It's interesting, Masuchi too. I really like right. a lot of his stuff. No, it's an amazing game. Yeah. Um, it, so much so, our friend has said that after playing it, he went into the newest Kickstarter for like the expansion and stuff like that. And even then, I'm sitting there like, that is too rich for my blood. Yeah. This is coming from someone who spent a lot of money on board games. We have. But we really have. But the thing is, it's it's so simple. I don't want to spend that kind of right. money on it. Uh, but it's oh, so good. It was really really good. It's probably one of my surprises of the year, and probably one of my favorite games that I've played this year. Yeah. Emerson Matsuchi, man. We need, to, we need to invite him on the podcast one of these days. Yeah, uh, so that great. one was Foundations of Rome. Foundations of Rome. And yes, I agree with Illuminous. Uh, that game is way too much. But on par with Santorini as far as production goes. Oh, yeah. I agree with that. All right. Um, my next one that I wanted to talk about was a game that I had never even heard of prior to playing it. It's called Endogenesis. That's right. It wasn't mine. I went over to another friend. I'm sorry. I see how it is. Yeah, it is. But he invited me over. I played it. Um, I was very impressed with this table mat. I'll tell you about it later. But very impressed with it. 
Um, Joanne's Fabrics sells neoprene. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I do now. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And now, guess who has a new table cover? Anyway, I have so, to think about doing that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the deets, the deets here in a bit, all right? But anyway, I went over to, to a friend of mine's house, and he showed me this game, Endogenesis. Okay. And this was a Kickstarter game. Um, I think it's like two to four players or something. And um, the way it works is that you all have a communal monster that you're trying to defeat. Um, and it's not cooperative. It is very much versus. Okay. Um, you're trying to get, like, these prisms, these little gem things. Uh, yeah, it... Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a dueling game. Um, you're trying to get these prisms. The game is going to end in one of two ways. Either uh, two players get two gems each, and then you count up your points. Okay. Most points wins. Or one player gets to three gems before before anybody else gets to two. And then they just automatically win. So it's like, that's kind of cool. I like that. Um, so there's always one communal monster. They will give you, like, shards. What makes it neat is that you're going to be putting, uh, like, three abilities. I know I'm going to use the correct incorrect terms. Um, I played the second edition, by the way. Um, you, you put out these cards, and then you have, like, an ultimate ability. And each of those, you have the ability to um, spend this energy, okay. these energy tokens, that you could discard your cards to do it. And when you get those energy tokens, you spend them on the cards. Uh, that will let you do abilities. That will let uh, you attack the monsters which sometimes will have reactions and different things. Uh, crafting your skills, yep, that's exactly where it's at. And I like the upgrading ability. When you get those shards, you can sometimes you can buy them with cards, sometimes you could get them by defeating monsters or KOing your, your opponents. And then you get those shards and then upgrade those abilities. It worked really well. Um, it's not without complaint. I did genuinely like it. I don't think I'm going to buy it myself. And that's because... So what what I was just saying is that uh, the you have the ability to upgrade your cards. Mm -hmm. So when you defeat monsters or, or KO your opponents, you get um, these shard tokens. These shards can be spent to make your cards better. Okay. And so it the the more shards on a specific card or ability, the better ability it can. It basically re replaces some of the text. So one might be um, like I'm going to do four damage to a single enemy. Okay. Or if I upgrade it. With two tokens, it's gonna be five damage, or with six tokens, it's gonna be, or uh, four tokens, it's gonna be like seven damage to one person. Whatever, you get the idea. You get, you upgrade, and it's cool. I enjoy it. Um, there was a couple little quarrels I had with it. Okay. Um, one, yes, you can fight the monsters, um, but defeating them gets you a shard. But if you don't have enough to defeat them, then you make them really weak for the next player. Oh, okay. So, because the HP is communal. Okay. Um, secondly, there was way too few of the monsters that had the prisms on it. Like, it, it took us about two hours for a three-player game. Okay. Which was just too long, honestly. Um, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, it was a random deck shuffle, so who knows? Maybe there's more in it, but even with random, that that's why yeah. you don't want it to take that long. And then, so if you just happen to kill a monster, you're like, I have just enough to kill this, let me get a shard, and there's a prism for you who's, like, ready to go. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of random. Yes, you get to see the second card, the next one, so you yeah. can decide if you want to do that, but realistically, you're not going to want to do that. Um, more often than not, you want to just kill, get the upgrades, craft your skills, gets better. Overall, fun game. I would play it again. I probably won't buy it. 
Okay, that sounds yeah. it sounds interesting. Gorgeous production, by the way. It uh, is very pretty. Nice. From what I heard, it, it sounded interesting. Yeah. I had to just step out real quick to get a Pepsi. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, good idea. All that indigestion. choking on the coughing. <laughs> It happens. So, so for my final games, uh, for game to say, this is, uh, I think it was our game of the night la uh, last week when we played it. And this mm -hmm. one is so interesting what it did. It's called Architects of the Coliseum. Uh, Pegasus Spiel, right? Or is it uh, Tasty Mitchell? Uh, TMG. TMG. Yeah, I don't, I think it's both. I think it's one of them, yeah. Brought over by TMG. Uh, but it was so good for what it did. Because the whole concept of the game is you're building the Coliseum. You need to get resources. You only have a certain amount of resources that you can hold on to. So you're trying to get it going. But my favorite thing of this entire game, the rundown was great. Yeah. But what happened is when you're trying to get yourself a nice engine and building stuff, whatever you pull to put into your engine, the next resource up is what everybody is producing. Yeah. So it, that that was like the coolest thing out of that entire game because that is so unique. So imagine Settlers of Catan, but when you do a certain action, you know exactly what's going to produce for everybody. So it's like, I really don't need more wagon wheels. Right. But I could use the wheat that's going to be produced if I pick up that wagon wheel. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, do I pick up something? I mean, it would be helpful for me later on. Mm -hmm. But I really need the wheat, so let's produce the wheat. Right. So I'll go pick that up, put it in my engine. This way I can get some wheat producing. Mm -hmm. It was so good what it did. And then when the the Coliseum stuff comes out, you got the points. And then when you get to the end game... When you're getting close to finishing the Coliseum, you get bonus points. So if you put the last piece of the Coliseum, you get four points on top of what you already have. Yep. So And I, I thought that was one of the smartest parts about it is that it incentivizes people to end the game. Uh -huh. Because oftentimes in games like that, you're like, okay, no, I want to really aim for like the highest value. Yeah. So that way the final blow will be like a really big hit. Yeah. No, this is like, no, finish it faster. <laughs> finish it faster, Like, yeah. don't give them a chance to breathe. Yeah, and... But the one thing I really, really enjoyed about it is that choice when the rondelle's almost done. Yeah. And you get to the point where you could choose whatever you want to produce, but it's for everybody. Yes. And you're sitting there looking at mine and looking at yours, and you're like, oh, man, I really need this yeah. resource. But so many times I'm like, man, I need some ore, but you have like four of them. <laughs> I hate you so bad right now. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also like the fact that the... The, the way the wagon wheels work is that it allows yeah. you to go to... So you're always beholden to go to the next spot on the rondelle. Mm -hmm. You can use wagon wheels or spin resources, uh, you know, victory points. Victory points. To yeah. move over um, extra spots, depending yeah. on how many spots you want to go. So if you want to move two spots, it's either two victory points or two um, wagon wheels. So it is good to have extra wagon wheels to get to... There was a point where I used all the wagon wheels I had accrued. So it was seven. This way I can get all the way to the specific thing that yeah. I needed to do. I'm like, do I have the wagon? Yep, I got the wagon wheels for it. Yeah. yeah. And then there was tiles where you could actually expand, like, how many resources you and could you hold, hold yeah. which was a cool idea. And I like when you... The same trigger thing, like, when you see the tile that comes down, that's the resource that it produces. If it produces wagon wheels, everyone resets Sets theirs. it, yeah. So, like... It's still also really good. And then it's also smart to get as many resource uh, tiles that you possibly can because they're mm -hmm. also bonus points at the end yep. of the game. Yep. For whoever has the most in a turn or in a row type, yeah. of each type gets five extra points per game. Mm -hmm. And there was, what, six or six seven? Total. Yeah, There's six total. Limit, wagon wheels and four resources. And I was lucky enough. I was really going into yeah. the, the resources. So you won two, and I think I ended up winning four of them. 
Yeah. Because yeah, I had been, like... You had... absolutely destroyed me in that game, and I still absolutely adored it. Yeah, no, it was it was a phenomenal game. I really, really enjoyed this one. It, to the point we were talking about it then, mm-hmm. because of Tasty Minstrel, you know, what happened to them, I hope someone else picks this one up and yes. brings it back, because it's that good of a game. Yeah. Well, I mean, granted, they brought it to the United States yeah. for Pegasus Spiel, and so I'm hoping that... that yeah, well... Because this one had, like, no press. I bought it for... For one, it was Tasty Minstrel. Mm-hmm. I generally like their stuff. Yeah. And two, Cause Dragon Verda, uh, <laughs> Carcassonne, which is my favorite game of all time. I was like, I don't play many of his games. Yeah. In fact, now I want to see Fire and Stone, which is one of yeah, his. We were talking about that too. Yeah, I don't. I hardly see his games, so I'm like, okay, I know Carcassonne, but what else? I played Mesopotamia back in the day. And okay. I didn't like it that much. No, so, but this one was really, really good. Yeah, he's no longer a one-hit wonder for me, so that's what matters. Um, wow, wow, it's mov- it's moving. It's it's a slow move for Brass Birmingham. Yeah, no kidding. It just hit the second spot on the overall ranking on Board Game Week. Wow, wow. The last game I wanted to talk about was a game I also got this week in the mail. Uh, it was a Kickstarter game, and I got it to the table on Friday. It's about saving animals from ah. oil spills. The spill by Smirk and Dagger, fully cooperative. Um, you are just trying to deal with the animals. Um, or deal with the oil that's that's slowly spreading out by moving around the map. There's some cool things that it's doing, but mostly it's you know it's along the same lines as Horrified. Mm-hmm. You know, if you played Pandemic, you kind of know how this works already. Yeah. And a lot of it did. A lot of it was was really cool. Um, I think we get a mosquito. Yeah, water. I think we do too. <laughs> but one of the cool things is that oil rig right in the middle. When you drop all the oil dice into it, yeah, um, you have to be careful on how you build it because when we I built it. I, we put the smaller ones on the bottom, and all the dice just jammed up and waited there. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, oh, let no. me rebuild it. Um, and I wish that there was a way that I could keep it built in the box, and there's not really a realistic way to do it. The insert's pretty good. It can't fit the, the top half of the oil rig. I might eventually figure something out for that. But Smirk and Dagger really, I mean, they've been rock-starring it. This is a great follow-up to um, the Night Cage, which yeah. is really the co-op of the previous year. Um, beautiful Kwanjai Moria, Kwanjai Moria. I, I don't remember the artist, but um, pretty, pretty well known artist. Yeah, they did the art's gorgeous on it. There was only one thing I didn't like about it. Oh, by the way, one thing that was really cool. Let me tell you a couple more things. One, you pick a level of difficulty, either one, two, or three, and you have a bunch of objective cards. Okay, and you mix up those, and you can pick one at random or by choice, I guess. Yeah, and that's the one. That's how you decide if you win. But there's always three ways to lose. One is um, if you have three of the same type of animal in your sick bay, then you lose. If you have all six different types of animal in the sick bay, you lose. And the other one is something else. That's that's past past my memory. But those are the those are. I think it's uh, um, if you run out of certain things. Like I think it's the oils. No, if you run out of oil. And you still haven't lost, you win on a technicality. Oh, okay. Because you've stopped the oil from spilling <laughs> out. Because then at that point, it would just be, you know, rinse and repeat until you're done. Yeah. So, but, oh no, uh, spill outs. The, once a column or a sector has three dice in it, it becomes a spill out. And it, at the end of a turn, if you have six or more, you're... Yeah, I remember something yeah. like that because when he was showing it to us at um, Gamma. Yeah, exactly. And so the way it works is real simple, but there is, um, you know, you're, you're going in a circle, doing some actions, 
hoping for the best. Uh, the weather dice are absolutely annoying. <laughs> but they're gorgeous little D6s, and you drop it in, and it will have normally a really bad effect. Multiple times we had... Uh, we had the one where you drop another three dice all of a sudden. Yeah. That was brutal. At the beginning of the game, you get to decide your resources that you can use throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And by getting, like, every three dice you remove from the, the game board, like, yeah. entirely. Because you have a choice of either putting them back in the bag for for one action or okay. for three action points, you can remove it from the game. Okay. And so, with in some objectives, you need to do that. And once every three of those you get, you get an extra action cube which is this little orange cube thing that you put on one of your resources to activate it or um every each set of different animals you get also does that so a bunch of really smart cool things that it does here's the part that i don't like about it okay and this is a very minor quibble and this is the exact same argument i had against night cage you must play four players we played as a three-player game, and there was one communal player that we kept uh, forgetting about. I hate that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and like, it's not, it's not a deal, not a deal breaker. It's just it's frustrating because like, you forget it. You know, it's a small thing. Night Cage does it too. It, if there was only one way, I just wish that there was a way that you could do it without, and mm-hmm. everyone, and have it scale a little bit. Yeah. But so far, it's made only as a four-player game, and that's what it stays at. Either way. It is a fantastic game. I highly recommend it. The Spill, fantastic. I really do need to get this one played. It's awesome. It's really good. It's probably, out of all those games... Oh, man, I played a lot of really great games. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's up there. It's up there for sure. I think out of the four I talked about, um, Horrified is probably my favorite. Just because I really, really enjoy Horrified a lot. Yeah. Uh, but out of the two new ones, I would have to say Architects of the Coliseum uh, defeats Foundations of Rome for me. Yeah. yeah. It was so good. Yeah, there was something about that. I wonder yeah. how it would play with more players now. Yeah, I, I know. That's my, my big thing is, like, I liked it at two. I wonder how well it would play. That's right. Moving on. But with that being said, <laughs> let's get into our topic. That's right. We've been delaying this too long. <laughs> we want to get into this topic. What games would we relive that first game experience? These are talking about games. Uh, a few of these games I've, I had only ever played once before. Okay. So I'm curious to see how... That would compare, at least maybe... There's only no, one that I've, I've ever played, played once. No, no, I've, I've played all of these multiple times before. There's okay. only one I wanted to I've make sure once. I avoided that. Yeah. That was because it's like, okay, well, I've already experienced that first play experience. Yeah. And maybe that would just mean, oh, I just want to get it back to the table, you know. We'll no, purposely the, avoid uh, it. I'll talk to it when I get to it. Uh, but what's interesting about my list here, I got a combination of, there's a few campaign-style games that I would want to relive that again. Yeah. Uh, some games that really surprised me, and so they can't surprise me anymore. I want that, you know, that shock aspect yeah. there's some new there's some old yeah so. exactly well let's see how it goes did you put this in any particular order uh i put them in my one through eight like there's my eight is something that i want to relive that experience again but it's kind of like the cheaty pick everything else i kind of want to see that same idea cool all right let's begin as always i have my coin of doom let's flip if it lands on tails you'll be starting us off a hit on the side, which is almost broke my fingers, <laughs> but you'll be starting yeah. us off. All right, so my first pick is my cheaty pick, and this one is a campaign game, and it's not really the first experience, but it's one of those because it was one of the first cam- it is the first campaign game I've ever played, and it's the first time you've ever experienced that twist. And this for me is Pandemic Legacy Season One, because the first play of it, you're basically 
oh, it's Pandemic. Okay. Yeah. But when you get a little bit further into the game, I think it was like the third or fourth play of it, when you're like, it could uh, be? Uh, what? <laughs> what? Uh-huh. What are you doing here? And it was, it was just something you're never going to get back. Nothing really is going to give you that kind of a shock. Because now you're sometimes expecting, okay, what's the twist going to be? What's going to happen here? What's going on here for a lot of these legacy games that are out there? And so for me, this one was had to go on my list, but I knew it was kind of a cheaty pick because it wasn't the first experience, uh, first play. It was right. it was the third or fourth play, but it was the first time I've ever played a campaign-style game. Yeah. And so I'll never get that experience because now you're expecting the surprise. You're expecting the shock. What are we going to do next? What's going to happen next? And so that's why I had to at least put this on my list because you're never going to get that experience again. Right. And so for me, it was Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Cool. My number eight, um, It. I knew we were onto something that very first time I played it. And I didn't know what I was getting into when we played it. Mm-hmm. And it has since became a tradition in my house. Every year in Halloween, I now play this game. Because that first time that we played it was so over the top and ridiculous that I couldn't help but put this on my list. And it took me a while to remember it. This is the one that I at least want to remember because I tend to have a great experience every time I play it. Yeah. But the first time I play it, saying, yes, my gatekeeper, every time the VHS yelled at you. Yeah. It was just so dumb. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, okay. My friend brought it over really excited. He was like, have you ever played this? I was like, I never even heard of it. What are you talking about that? He was like, do you have a VCR? Yeah, sure. Go ahead and put it on. He's like, all right, we got to do this. And he was like shutting off the lights and like turning up the volume. He was like, all right, let's try this. And we played it. And then I remember very distinctly like going, okay. Um, he was like, call me. Every time you acknowledge me, call me. Yes, my gatekeeper. Okay. What? Uh, yes, my gatekeeper. That's better. <laughs> like, how did you know? <laughs> like, you know, like I couldn't help but go. Wait a minute. Hold on. Something's here. Like, they really planned this well. And then I remember very distinctly, like right at the end, like we we're just playing it like normal, like okay, whatever. And the last five minutes of the game, when it's counting down and the music is getting more and more intense, and you're like. Oh, we could all lose this? Oh. And, like, we're speed rolling. Go, 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 take your turn. And we're racing to the end. That was an experience unlike any other. I didn't know what to expect. Now now I know it, and so it's less, yeah. it's less impactful. But when we did that, that was so hilarious. <laughs> Nightmare is my number eight. All right. Uh, flip the coin. Back to me. So my next one is another campaign-ish style game. Yeah. Um, in fact, I actually bumped a game off this list. Uh, because I'm like, you know what, this makes more sense for me. And this one technically is the first playthrough where you're like, wow. And this one for me is Time Stories. When you're playing that based box scenario, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going on. You're having to use so many time units to explore this and find out what's going on. And my God, the first time I played Time Stories, it just blew my mind what it was doing. Because you have to go to a location, but if you're the only one at the location, you have to describe what's going on there. And then it's kind of an escape room. In a sense, you have to figure out the puzzles in this game and how to use them to help you win this, uh, this scenario. And the story was really good. Mind you, I haven't got that far into time stories, but I've beaten the first two chapters for sure. Right. The third one, I'm, I, we were playing it, but it stopped. But the first two uh, were really good. But that first one, man, it just it 
it grasps you because you're like, okay, yeah. this is what games could become right. with the storytelling and the, okay, this is what's happening here. Let me describe what this said. Oh, this guy over here told me this, so we should go look for this. And it led us down the, like a dead end type situation. So it's just, you, it's, you never get that back. Yeah, you never will. And it was what, it was the gateway to a lot of the other scenario games, too. Yes. That was the big part about it. And so, for me, I want to get that experience again. I want to relive that kind of, that exploration, that feeling that you would get from this game. And the second scenario, Marcy Case, kind of gave that to you a little bit. Yeah. But it just wasn't the same gravitas that the first one did because you were just like wow what is going on here this is pretty cool you just you can't get it in the next chapters the next chapters have their own twists and turns but that first play of time stories is what really gripped me yeah good good pick uh my number seven you ever have those games where you you play it and you sit back for a minute you're like i would play that again right now Mm -hmm. like i would gladly just like let's not even put it away let's play it again like that kind of level of enjoyment um i showed off one of these games uh uh, this last week at at our local comic shop to to one of our patrons and he asked me about it he was like yeah can you show me it i was like sure i brought it open and i was having as much fun watching them play it (laughs) as i would playing it because i remember very distinctly that very first time i played this game i sat back and i was like like halfway through, I'm like, man, this is this is just hitting every cylinder. Century Spice Road. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Emerson Matsuchi, yep. th- this had to go on my list. I fell in love with this game the minute I played it, and and so I had recently shown you how to play Bazaar, which yeah, I yeah, referenced yeah. earlier. Um, I already knew how to play Bazaar prior to playing Century Spice Road. And I already really liked Bazaar, so when I found this, I was like, "Oh no, this is this is like a deck building version of Bazaar." Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> like why is converting spices into other spices so fun? Exactly. It makes no sense. It's so simple too. And it's so simple. Like you could just take a card. Okay, I'll just take a card. These these are great cards, and I I had so much fun playing it. It has no right being as fun as it is, but that was really just one of those satisfactory like experiences. That I wanted to play it again and again that same night, which I rarely want to do. But that, out of all the games that I've wanted to play a second time in that same game night, yeah, that is by far the the best one I have done. Okay, that sounds Century pretty Spice cool. Road. Uh, I really do enjoy that one a lot. Uh, uh, Splendor, I'm not a fan of Splendor, so the first time playing it, I was kind of like, eh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Luminous brought up Splendor. I do like Splendor quite a bit. Um, and Seventh Continent, which I still need to play. Yep. All right, number six. Sorry oh, with you. So number six, I was relieved after I played the first time on this one. And what I mean by that is I was just barely getting into modern games. Okay. And I had heard about this game, but I haven't seen. I hardly saw it played. I, you know, this was. I'm talking within the first year of me getting into modern gaming. Okay. Probably maybe even before you and I met. Probably. Uh, I didn't get into gaming. We didn't meet till 2014, so it's yeah. probably way before then. It, yeah, it was it was a while ago, and it might have been just real close to that. But either way, I remember seeing this game. I'm like, I'm hearing things about it. I, found, I finally discovered Board Game Geek, and I'm seeing people are liking it. But I'm about to spend $45 for just a card game. Oh, I know what it is. And I was like... 
I, I've spent a lot of money on magic because I knew I loved magic. Mm-hmm. But this is a big box of 500 cards, and I don't even know if I'm going to like it yet. $45 is a lot of money. And my kids were still pretty young at that time. Yeah. You know, my, my daughter was probably only like two or three years old. So I was very cautious going into this. I had similar experiences with Ticket to Ride, but being a $50 board game, yeah. I was scared on that too. But I was genuinely nervous about a $45 card game. And that's Dominion. But after I played that <laughs> and experienced deck building for the first time, I was like, wow, okay, money well spent. The wife liked it, which is rare amongst a lot of games. She was willing to play it. I We enjoyed the combos. We played it again and again, multiple nights in a row. Yeah. We, we enjoyed every bit of it. And we liked we got expansions. We enjoyed that. I bought all the expansions. She got overwhelmed. I haven't played it since. <laughs> and, you know, but it's still like every time we bust it out, we're like, man, we need to play this more. This is such a good experience. And that sense of satisfaction where it's like, man, I did my research. I was so nervous about this. It all worked out. I am so happy. At, this is now in my collection. This is never going away ever again. Yeah, so... I'm not a huge fan of Dominion. It's yeah, fine. I I, I'm okay with it. Uh, my thing is, uh, I had a deck builder on my list. That's the one that just got bumped um, from because of time stories. And that was Ascension. That was the one that really showed me what deck building could be. Sure. But yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with Dominion. It, it was an experience for you. The problem with me when it came to Dominion, I played a bunch of deck builders before I right. finally tried exactly. Dominion. And it's like, it's a bit boring compared right. to what I played. So yep, yeah. No, I I don't blame you, and that's why I feel like I feel like a lot of newer gamers like they're like, oh yeah, I've played Star Realms, I've played this, yeah. I've played that, and they're like, have you played Dominion? Nah. And then they play it, they're like, yeah, this is boring. Yeah, it's like I get the whole thing. It is nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, me. yeah, yeah. But just going into it, like a deck builder now, you can get for twenty bucks. Like yeah, that's exactly. not an investment. That's a that's an impulse buy at that point. But a forty five dollar game that's just cards. Yeah, no, that's no, a I get scary it. thing if you're not into games. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, especially when you're new to it. Yeah, Mind nearly you, fifty the, bucks for anything is a lot before you know you like it. First board game I ever bought was Betrayal at the House on the Hill because my wife really really liked it and that was eighty dollars and yeah. both of us were like. Man, that's a video game. Yeah. <laughs> the trail is it's one of those levels. And yeah, Nocturne was a cool expansion. Prosperity was an amazing expansion. And uh, there's a newer one, uh, like Adventurers or something like that. That was a that was a fun one. That brought back a lot of my love for Dominion. All right, so moving on to my number six. Uh, this is one of the more recent games that we've played. And this is the one where you were mentioning, I think, in your number seven, where it's like, okay, we play that. I could totally play this one again right off the bat because mm. it was that good. I really, really enjoyed this one, and I was giggling the whole time. I was playing my asymmetric character on this one, and this has the coolest piece that is just a cool piece that helps you play the game better, and this is Planet Unknown. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's just I totally thought you were gonna pick a different piece when you were like it just has one cool piece just go yeah I thought you were gonna pick it makes the game much easier yeah. to play because the, the the lazy Susan is amazing yeah. in this game but yeah now when I was looking through how I was gonna make this list and I was looking at my plays and all the games and my my that I've played lately my board game geek I was like oh man yeah yeah planning on this is the one that I said I, I've only played once. Mm -hmm. 
but I want to play it again. That's how much I love that experience, and I don't think I'm going to get that that big experience again right. because of this one because I know what to expect now. But when we we were sitting there, and you and me were listening to the how it's explained and played, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. All right, I get what that's doing here, and this is my character doing this, and your character does that. But then as we kept going and playing, and like, oh no, I got to pick this one because it's going to be the best here, and then it's just like. Oh, oh, and then like after like the third or fourth uh, round of it, I guess you can mm-hmm. say, both of you and me are like, damn it, dog. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> to the point where I had pre-ordered a copy and I'm just waiting for mine to come in. So yeah. um, I don't think that's going to be as cool as his copy because he's the Kickstarter version. But still, I just had to buy this game because it was that good. Yeah. Uh, and that is Planet Unknown. Good pick. All right. Our number five. You'll be sunny, yes. All right. My number five. This one is a relatively newer one. I do have a version of it. I own a version of it. But this, for me, is more of the surprise factor. I'll never get that surprise again. for Because I avoided this game. I was like, eh, I don't like the chibi style. I am kind of... Not really, but I can't really put that into words, but I'm like, okay, this is fine. It looks a little too simple for me. Not that it's something I want, even though I'm a real fan of uh, Cool Mini or Not games. And for me, personally, my I gave this uh, to a friend of mine as a birthday gift. And he's like, okay, let's try this out. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't own it. I'll try it out. And I was very sad I didn't buy it because it just like, how is that so good for what it is? And that is Marvel United. This was my pick here. I really, really dug this game the first time I played it. And I was very hesitant. I'm like, that's a lot of money for chibi arts. It doesn't, it looks too simple for my taste. I know they were going for like a younger audience. So I'm like, yeah, I was very hesitant on it. I'm like, you know what? I don't need all that stuff. Let me play it before I decide to, you know, money sink into it. And so I played it and I'm like, well, now I have to go find myself a base game. This way I have my version of it. And me and a mutual friend, Gamehead Geek, um, made a trade. He got one game. Looks <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so Actually, don't worry about this little section of the wall of shame over here. That is uh, actually been played. I think I just... luminous meant there. Oh, well, it's just because everybody knows this part right here is my shuffle of shame. But um, yeah, so to the point where when they released, oh, we're gonna do X Men Marvel United. I had to do the all in for this because yeah. uh, not the super all in. I didn't get any of the Marvel stuff. Right. Um, I just got this because Gamehead Geek had all the Marvel United stuff. So him and me could just switch. Like, here, you want this? Okay, let's trade that for we can play here. For I can try it. So, but yeah, this one just really, really hit the spot for me. <laughs> all right. Um, that's a great comment. <laughs> oh, like Marvel United. All right, my number four. Or number four, right? Or number five. Yeah. My number five was a game that the very first time I played it, it was in prototype form. And it was this massive, grandiose game. And I remember very distinctly giving feedback to the designer. that, And one that he, he started chuckling. And the whole group started laughing to the point where they actually put it in the game. And this is Millennium Blades. <laughs> and... And it's such a meta game. Uh, very the, much so. The I designers of it are it. hilarious. The whole premise is that you are basically living out the entirety of being in in the world of a collectible 
card game like this is like 10 years of like you collecting a collectible card game yeah. distilled in like two hours <laughs> and it's ridiculous it's over the top it's absolutely but uh, i and i agree the paper money is chintzy but the fact that it's in stacks is satisfying that's a great solution to that um but yeah the like playing with those pieces all like thousands of cards now like you're never gonna have too much stuff and i love how all the backs of the cards look like booster packs because really when you're buying a booster pack and you live in a collectible card game lifestyle mm -hmm. you want the rare and that's yeah. the rare for you they all have fun abilities the the actual gameplay of it is interesting because you have real-time market selling <laughs> and buying these cards you basically get your allowance every week you know <laughs> and and then you're going into this and it's all just playing on the idea of like you are this collectible card game person it's it, you could tell it came from a labor of love. It still is a labor of love. It was hilarious. Level 99 really knocked it out of the park with that because it's such a cool game. And when I first played it, I played it in prototype form with them with like like 500 sleeved blank cards with just like abilities and stuff. I mean, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't quite that old. Like they had some, some art for it, yeah. but they were testing it out. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I thought that game was so hilarious. And to the point where I anxiously waited for like two years until they brought it to Kickstarter, funded it, and I absolutely, I, I, I still enjoy that memory to this day. That is one of the few games though I've only played a handful of times, and I want to play it again. <laughs> Alright, you could have kept talking while I was about to sneeze, but yeah. Um, yeah, now yeah, I know how now it feels. <laughs> this guy. No, but I, I thought this was a great experience. So, my number five, Millennium Blades by Level 99. All right, All right moving on to the next one. Number four. Four. Let's start us off. So, number four, um, I've always kind of been intrigued by abstract strategy games. And this game alone, the very first time I played it, I found it at a thrift store. After, and this is, again, when I was first starting off learning about collectible card games. I found this at a thrift store. I bought it. And I read the rules. And I was like, uh, oh, and I read a little bit more. Oh, oh, wow. This is different. And it wasn't complicated. It's a connect four, four in a row. I thought it was going to be that one. Quarto. <laughs> this game alone made me want to collect all of the ones in their entire line. And I, I adore Zhigamik for making these wooden games. Yeah. They made them back in the 90s. The mathematician created this game. All you have to do is put four in a row, simple, but yeah. each piece is different, and you have to put either four of, of one attribute in a row, either tall or short, square, circle, hollow, solid, light, or dark. That's it. First one to get any one of those eight attributes, four in a row, who places that piece wins. But the catch is, and this yeah. is what... I know this is why you like it, yep. Is you hand the piece that your opponent places, and if he or she puts down the winning piece... They win. So you have to create a situation where they are handing you a winning piece. I still don't see that any other game. Yeah. Like, there's no other games that have done it yet that I have seen. That I, And please correct me if I'm wrong, because I want to know that. It's as smart as chess. It's an incredibly strategic game. It it's not it's way easier to learn than than say chess for example. Oh yeah. Like not that chess is complicated, but like to get sufficiently good at it, like it you know a few plays and you'll be you'll be very competent in it. 
Yeah. So you never feel that you that the other person is smarter than you. You just feel that they outplayed you. And and that's a really fine balance. And that little twist just of you have to hand them the piece to place, that's what set it apart. So the very first game I played of this, I'm like, whoa, whoa, everybody calm down. Like <laughs> this is this is intense. When I read that one rule, I'm like, oh, that's totally flips everything on its head. That's that's one of the triggers that got me into um, modern gaming. And I've probably played that game more than a hundred times since. Jeez. I don't think I I've played a, a game a hundred times at all. Well, I I close on some. Door Quarto. I will gladly keep playing it. I love it. Awesome. Anytime anybody wants to play me Quarto, if you meet me in a convention, let's let's play Quarto. I'm in. Um so my next game here, uh my number four, is one of the newer ones. It's my last campaign game that I, I said I had a few on here. But this one you would understand it because you had the first play experience of this one. Yours was a little different than mine because it's the one that you played with. But this one is Corey Konetska's first game, Breakaway from Fantasy Flight. And this was the initiative. Oh my god, this was like, okay, this is really cool. I love the comic book aspect of it. I love the code-breaking aspect of it. I love the fact that even if you don't succeed on a level, you move on. You keep going. And I really liked a lot of what it did, but that first playthrough, you're like, okay, that's really cool. I like what it's doing here, and I want to see what more is coming for it. And the problem is, again, because of that campaign style, I will never be able to get that first experience again. Right. Um, it's quite simple honestly it's one of the simpler games on this list and it just oh it hit i really 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 enjoyed that one a lot and so for me my number four is the initiative because it's so simple you're basically just playing a game trying to break uh break some codes and move on and see what's going on but what's even funnier about it is you're playing a game within a game because you're playing characters playing a game <laughs> so it's very meta yeah. mm -hmm. but i really enjoyed this one and I, i'm sad i would never be able to get that experience again especially how lackluster the end was for us you know what this would have been on my short list now that that you brought it up because i want I want to relive that first experience, but I want to change something from that first experience. Not but let your mutual friend touch the... He, he, I swear, he's a savant. I mean, it's not a complicated first puzzle. No, it's but not. He looked at, at them and go, yeah, okay, I know what it is. But we hadn't started the game. And he, and I was like, come on. Like, like, I know you're smart, and I know you do this stuff. Like, you love puzzles like this. There's no way you know it, like, without even a single letter, right? And every letter we got, he was like, <laughs> like, I already know what it is. Like, I mean, you might as well. What you should have done is like, okay, if you know what it is, write it down on a piece of paper when we finish this. Right. We should have, yeah, to check to see if he if he was just like, no, no, I trust that he wasn't because he's that smart of a guy. But it's just like that alone just cracked me up so much. I want I would relive it just to be like, no, 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 don't look at the puzzle. No, let's just Not turn allowed. it this way. Right. Not allowed. No, no. Um, my number three, this is number three? Yeah, we gotta flip the coin now. Oh, yeah. My number three, <laughs> speaking of, it's a game that I played before I got into gaming, really. Um, it's one of my, one of my older favorites, and when I was in high school, I had, you know, quite a few friends that were in different games, like Magic the Gathering and all this, and I had heard of this game, because everyone sees it at, like, garage sales and stuff, but one of my friends taught it to me, and this was just a really happy point in my life. Um, they taught me how to play Moncala. 
Oh, okay. It wasn't the one I was thinking about. Which one were you thinking of? Uh, the card game that you always uh, make everybody play. The card game that I make I don't want to say if play. it's not on your list. It's not on my list. Okay, right. Cribbage. No, it's not Cribbage. <laughs> I, I didn't learn that till like, about college days. Okay. Um, but no, this is Moncala. And I had seen it. You know, everyone knows knows mm-hmm. what a Moncala board looks yeah, yeah. like, right? And what the pieces are, but nobody knows how to play, right? And one of my friends taught me how to play. And I just remember that we would just be hanging out for hours, just me and my friends, just playing it playing hours and hours and hours of Moncala and just it was such a satisfying but it, it's not so much that I would I, I wouldn't relive necessarily the game part of it because I do really like Moncala I think it's a great game but I would relive that time frame it's a it's a yeah. model of a time for it it's kind of like when you hear a certain song on the radio and you're like you know what that brings me right back to a certain memory Moncala is kind of like that for me in my high school days which was a good time for me and so that it's very nostalgic to me and I would continue to replay that game yeah. and get that same nostalgia every time. So that was a bit sappy, but in, but that's why it's my number three, Moncala. Yeah, I, I really don't blame you. Um, when it comes to like that experience, that's the reason why I still really like uh, reading comic books and stuff like that, because yeah. it brings me back to a good period in my life when I was yeah. reading them like on the activity bus, coming home from school or yep. uh, coming back from a game or stuff like that. And that's why I'm really into like the comic book movies. I get it. I get what you're saying here, yeah. that you just was able to equate it to a board game. Yeah. I can't say that uh, other than risk for me, and that's just because I have memories of playing with my dad. Yeah. But my number three is kind of like that only it's more recent and it's a game that is controversial in a sense that some people really really like it and who are big fans of it and then some people really really hate it because it's really really popular and this for me is wingspan and the reason why it's on my list is going back to what you were saying stonelayer was kind of on my my i had i had uh Viticulture, my buddy had Scythe. We really enjoyed those games. And this was like the the game that was hot, really hot. And we were like, but those were on the fence about it because we were like, okay, I want to play this because one, for me, I like birds. And he was like, well, it's a Stonemire game. I really like Scythe. I like Viticulture. We should try it when we were going to Dice Tower West. The first time it was Dice Tower West in 2019. We're like, okay, let's go do this. Let's go have fun. It's I'm going to be on the hot table. So let's go try it out. First time we played it, both of us were like, oh, this is good. This is really good. I really enjoyed it. And it just brings back memories. Every time I play Wingspan, teaching it to friends or playing with a group of friends who really enjoy Wingspan too, because of the engine building aspect of it, it brings me memories there. It brings me memories. And going back to the Dice Tower West is probably one of the most fun I've ever had playing board games because we stayed up to the wee hours. It was in Vegas, so we're doing all the Vegas trip stuff as well. So that for me, that's why I really want to relive that first play because it's, it's just the whole memory aspect of right. it because it was a big trip. And then everybody that we played there, it was the three of us, everybody fell in love with that game. Yep. To the point where I bought it, then he bought it, and our mutual friend just plays my copy of it because <laughs> I go over to his house all the time and play games. Yep. So, but Wingspan, yeah, that had to go on my list. Good deal. Good choice. All right. Number two. All right. And this one's going to be me. So, going on to the nostalgia side, the reliving that first playthrough, this is the game that really showed me what Euros can do. And I really, really enjoyed that first play of it to the point where like, oh, I got to get myself a copy of this. And I'm, I'm just going to set a picture here. The first time I played this game was when we were at the shop in the old shop. 
uh, where you had like that side room for board gaming yep. is one of the few months that you and me kind of started hanging out and becoming friendly uh, is 2014 and you're showing this to me my wife and another couple um, who moved away but when I played this game I was like because I was really only playing like the Meritrash games uh, the King of Tokyo's the the uh, Arkham Horrors that sort, or the Fire Five, which is kind of Euro-y but you know the thematic right. stuff to it this one has no theme to it, but it's such a great game. And this is a Stefan Feld and made me fall in love with Stefan Feld. And this is Castles of Burgundy. Yep. I remember going, oh, that's cool. Oh, I like doing that. Okay, yep. I'm going to do this to sell this to sell this. I really need to get up on the boats because I want first player to get better choices because yep. I really need those goods. Yep. And so, yeah, for me, this hit. Uh, and showed me what Euros were capable of and what Stefan Feld was capable of. And now I have like a whole shelf just for him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really, really dug this one. So, Castles of Burgundy, my number two. All right. My number two, I just added to my list right now, um, <laughs> which we will be. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. that, that yeah. My number two. Um, I just added to the list because I, I wasn't originally going to put this on the list. Mm-hmm. And the more. I talked about nostalgia and all that stuff, and this—that's the whole point of this list. It's not nostalgia, but just like, like what the, the what that, experience that very for first you. game. Yeah. yeah, what what it did to my life was, mm-hmm. was ever changing, and I would absolutely go back. I remember, um, when I was about twelve or thirteen years old, my brother is teaching me this game. Long before I was into gaming, right? Which now that I realize it is the same age as my son. Okay. That this was this could be his critical moment because I this has not only created one great memory, this created a whole slew of amazing memories for me. This was back in two thousand one, I want to say. Oh man. Yep. Um. My my brothers taught me how to play it. I started getting into it, and I remember very distinctly going into Coas Books for one of the very first times I've ever been in there, which is our local used bookstore, still around, still amazing. Looking into the glass cabinet. Finding a deck of these cards for Magic the Gathering. Hey, I was going to say, is it Magic? Mercadian Mask set, the blue Merfolk deck. And I bought it because it was blue. And that was my favorite color. And I was like, okay, I like nautical stuff. Let's buy this Merfolk deck. And I remember happily taking it, like carrying it with me to the car, bringing it home and playing with that deck against my siblings. And that is still with me 22 years later. I'm surprised that uh, this wasn't originally on your list and the fact that it wasn't your number one. <laughs> I See, here's the thing. I, cre- I became part of the lifestyle, and it's something that I still play to mm. this day. I still play Magic, and I still appreciate it. The thing it. is, I have cards for Magic. I still, yeah. it's, I still own them. I haven't played right. in a while. But I have gone through so many years of playing this and mm-hmm. so many different experiences. It's hard to pick just one. You're aging yourself, was, by the way. That's fine. <laughs> but when I started talking about the the nostalgia of Moncala yeah. and thinking it's like, I can remember the my very first deck of cards, which one I bought, why I bought it, where I was when I bought it. It can't not go on my list. Yeah. I, I was trying to justify for it not to be, but because of that one memory, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You don't remember. I very, very little remember about like my school days. I don't remember any of my elementary teachers except for my fifth grade teacher. That's it. I have pretty bad memory about back then. But I sure as hell remember that one deck of cards 
that I bought, and I've bought multiple copies. Every time I see it, I'm buying it because that is such a satisfying memory for me. And I greatly look forward to my son creating those memories at his in his age right now. That's that's more than nostalgic. That is ambitious. Yeah. And I love it. That's my number two Magic the Gathering. All right, we're going to our number ones. Who's starting it? And that would be me. Okay. My number one, it's kind of nostalgic too. But I also remember, wow, this is gaming. Uh, this is this feels really good. And it's not what everybody would pick. Right. But and to the fact, the reason why this is number one is because this game is actually cooled off for me for two reasons. One, it's older, it's longer, there's better things I want to do with my time. And two, we played this so much, especially at two players with me and my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was Dead of Winter. This is, it's nostalgia. When we were living in our old apartment, not the one when we started the podcast, but the one first, when we first got married... We had this little card table. We would bust it out on the table, and we would spend our night playing that game. Um, as a straight co-op, then uh, you can do it. There's a two-player variant in it. You just play it at its hardest mode. You don't have like a secret um, person. You're not right. a traitor itself. You still have your secret goals that you need to do, but you're still working it as a straight co-op. But oh my god, it was. It's a it's a good game, for what it was. But it's really long. It takes a lot of time. The crossword cards tend to get lost in the shuffle all the time. It's like, oh yeah, we're supposed to be pulling these cards from time to time because you're so concentrating on everything else you're doing. It really showed me a good zombie game without the zombies being the focus. And that was the big thing is because zombie side was a thing then. Uh, There's a few others. It wasn't as big as zombies got. But this one was like, everybody was calling it the, was it the Walking Dead a board game where it is The Walking Dead, where you're dealing with more of the people rather than the zombies. The zombies are just there to help push the game along because you're trying to keep your um, barricades up, making sure they're not overrunning the colony and stuff like that. And this, I wish I can relive that experience because busting it out, playing the two players in the old apartment we just newly married i think we were in the first year of marriage him and his wife by yeah. the way. <laughs> and so it just it brings up the nostalgia but it's also because it's a game that's cooled off for me because we played it so much it's one of those games where everybody always talks about like oh i played this a hundred times or something like that this is probably in the early days one of my most played games of all time mm -hmm. um i think there's games that have surpassed it now yeah. but at that time we were playing this one a lot this one and betrayal at the house on the hill were the two big games we played early on uh, we even made a like house rule for patrol on the house on the hill where we play two players and then when the trader happens all the characters move over to one person unless they're the specific trader yeah and so yeah it's still dead of winter just hits on so many levels of memories of that experience spending those late nights with my wife um and mind you, my wife worked nights at the time, so we were used to staying up. So it'd be like three, four o'clock in the morning. We've played like two games in a row of it because of the campaign style, the story modes and stuff like that. So yeah, Dead of Winter was my number one. It was the first game on my list. I was like, nope, that's number one. Yep. Good. All right. My number one, um, and this will probably be no surprise, but it's a little bit of a cheat and I'm going to explain why. The, out of all of the games that I talked about today... There was either something that was really impressive about it that really surprised me mm -hmm. about the first game, or it's heavily, heavily tied to nostalgia. Yeah. My number one is specifically, I know I will never relive that first play ever again, 
Um, but I still have memories of that very first time I brought open this game and played it. And I say it's kind of a cheat because it's two games, and you've already talked about both of them. Time Stories and Pandemic Legacy Season 1. <laughs> awesome. I remember that one game, and none of the other games after that even compared to it, mm-hmm. but that very first time I played Time Stories or Pandemic Legacy, both had the same impact on me. Is I remember... Do you remember Pandemic or uh, Time Stories? And I'm going to give... Technically, I'm not. It's not even gonna be a spoiler. It's gonna. I'm gonna be talking about the very first picture that you see when you open up the base game of Time Stories, and I remember that little girl with the long hair, black hair, <laughs> painting a picture. Yep. Looking like she's from the ring, right? Yep. And you can go over there and look at that picture as one of your actions. Yep. That that is the first memory of that game, and I remember it so vividly that. As soon as I read that, and I looked at the card, and I set it down, and I described it to people, that was what set it a million times higher than most game experiences. I I obviously know it now, and I still remember it fondly. Seven years later, mm-hmm. that really says something about the game. And then that first game of Pandemic, when you're... Because I had already played Pandemic a million times before that. Yeah. Now we all get to open a box and unlock some stuff? Yeah, but Wait stickers. a minute. <laughs> wait a minute (laughs) what are you asking me to do here this is like i knew what i was getting into but i didn't really know what i was getting into first time i made you tear something up the first time you made tear something up i remember my wife for some reason the first card she tore up she took a little and just looked at me like she was i was about to hit her or something (laughs) which is never done before in my life and but she gave me that look like are you like because i told her i was like yeah tear up the card i was like you read it you you need to tear it up she was like I mean, really, like, you're giving me permission to tear up one of your pieces. Yeah, that's what the card says. Destroy it. And she was just so nervous to do it. Yeah. Like, that that very first time, I'm like, destroy it. And she tore it and looked at me. I was like, it's what the game said. Yeah, I don't, yeah, no. Yeah, it's what it said. Do it. We like, actually burned a card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, Damn, they really want to burn too well. No, no, they don't tend to. Um, But yeah, oh man, that very first game, I would gladly relive that one experience. Now knowing what I know, I can't wait for the next level in board gaming that creates that. That kind of, yeah. That I I will be 100% on board. I will love it. I don't care what I have to do for it. But I want that experience again in my life. I don't blame you. I feel the same way. Good deal. So... What a heavy podcast, man. Yeah, that, that, that was a cool one. I like this one a lot. That was interesting. We'll be talking about ideas for the next uh, next podcast or two, uh, probably after our stream here. So again, if you're live, if you're joining us live, like our friend Illuminous, hang out in the chat. We'll talk some more. Um, otherwise, we w- definitely want to thank you for listening. If you ever want to join us on a live episode, first off, follow us on twitch.tv slash everydayboardgames. And if you follow us, you can get notifications when we do film live, normally about once a week. And also, you have a chance to win that bad boy back there. By all means, if you subscribe right now, you get some automatic tickets. So, get in on this. (laughs) I don't know why you're waiting. Do it. Come join us on chat. We'd love to hear back from you. As well as all video re-uploads found on YouTube at Everyday Board Games 2020. And if you like what we do there, there are three things you can do to help us grow on the platform. Subscribe to get a chance to win that game. Uh, like the video and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject. 
as well as all audio versions can be found on most podcast platforms. This includes, uh, under Everyday Board Games Podcast, this includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Podbean. And if you ever want to contact us directly, and you definitely want to right now, because again, our code word is hazelnuts. So put in the subject line, uh, giveaway. And then email everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. Again, that's everydayboardgames, all one word. 2020 at gmail.com and enter that into the subject line giveaway and in the body of it put hazelnuts and please put your name and and uh like what city you live in just in case um that would help us out yeah by all means email us directly that way you can enter in for bonus tickets and listen to our next three podcasts because we're also going to have a chance to give away that with more code words so stay tuned all right, and you can also get in contact with us at our official Twitter account at EBG Podcast, and that is another ticket for the giveaway. All right, so we want to thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I've been your host Daniel, and I've been your host Daniel, and we want to thank you for listening to Everyday Board Games. And remember, every day is a good day for board gaming. <laughs>